Guess what, cinephiles? I've just heard something absolutely mind-blowing. Okay, so you know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a tiny fraction of what Netflix actually has. Netflix actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only like 6,000 of those are available in the U.S., so you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows, unless you use ExpressVPN. Yeah, Steve, ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location. So like, for example, if you're looking for stuff that's from another country, you're based here in the United States, you actually change your online location to Australia or the UK so you can control where you want Netflix to think you're located. They have over 100 different locations. They're on ExpressVPN. So you can, you can gain access to like thousands of of new shows no matter where you live. And this works with many other streaming services too there. You guys have Disney Plus or Hulu or Max or the BBC iPlayer, which is the one I use. I know I've used ExpressVPN to connect to Australia because I really love this show called Have You Been Paying Attention? I just put myself in Melbourne and I get access to it. You sign up using your email, but you immediately get access to the stuff. I've used the BBC iPlayer to watch a number of shows there on the BBC like Law & Order UK and others. And sometimes this show Guilty that I love that uh, screens there, when the new seasons pop up, because it takes like four months to get them on PBS, I watch them there using ExpressVPN. And it's incredible how easy it is and how simple it is to use. So why should you use ExpressVPN? Well, first of all, it is super fast. That means you can stream everything in HD with no buffering. It works on any device. So I'm an Apple guy, which means I've already installed it on my Mac, on my iPhone, on my iPad, and on my Apple TV. I'd install it on my Apple Watch if I could, and it encrypts your data. Now, this is hugely important because it protects your privacy and your security to keep you safe from hackers. So stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you guys three extra months of free use when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash cinephiles. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S to get three extra months completely free. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. It's over, Johnny. It's over! Nothing is over! Nothing! You just don't turn it off! Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Cinephiles. I am writer, producer, and host, uh, the outlaw John Roca. And I am filmmaker and directing instructor Steve Morris. And uh, we are continuing our conversation 
of First Blood. This is part two of our conversation. You know, Steve, been thinking a lot about after the end of part one of our conversation, how much this film really does have so much to say about our world still and uh, still honors and respects so much of the story here, even though they've made some changes about what was going on here for so many people who are Vietnam veterans coming back uh, to the States. And so I, I'm just really moved by how much we were able to explore in mine in part one. I totally agree. And I, I think the two things about this film, the first is, is that people talk about this as like an action, a great action movie, one of the great action movies of the 80s. And it's true, this is a great action movie. But to me, really, tonally, this is a drama yeah. with great action in it. Yep. Not an action movie that can be dramatic. And the, and the other thing I would say is I think the biggest things about it is it's it's silence, particularly the silence of John Rambo yeah. and the restraint, his restraint. Those are the critical things that elevate this movie for me. Yeah. And we're going to find out uh, the man who created this silence and this restraint uh, within Rambo. We're going to get to know him even more as we go along here in part two of our discussion in First Blood. And that's Colonel Trotman, the great Richard Crenna playing Colonel Trotman. So, Steve, um, are you ready to dive in? I'm I'm ready. I'm I'm hidden out in the mountains. I've got some <laughs> some wild boar or something I'm eating. I'm ready to survive and I'm ready to fight back, John. All right, it's funny you bring up a wild boar because that's exactly where we're starting. When we left off, Rambo jumps out of the tree, kills a wild boar, and we see him cut, take a leg into the cave, and then later on he is uh, cooking it and eating it over a fire. And I'll tell you this, the same Navy SEAL who was doing the choreography for those uh, fights down in the basement of or the lower level of the sheriff's office, Stallone asked him, hey, can Rambo jump down and do this? And he said, that is ridiculous. The only thing you'd be able to kill from that height is a jackrabbit. And so he, but he added it anyway. He asked to be added it anyway, and he put it in the movie. So you have that section there with him killing a wild boar. Steve, have you ever killed any animal and eaten it as a hunter or any uh, sense of that? Have you ever done anything like that? I know there are people who do that. <laughs> and maybe some of our listeners have done that sure. in the past. Uh, what about you? I have uh, fished and I have killed a fish and eaten it. I have killed a rat that was trapped in a rat trap and not dead and i put it out of its misery oh. which was strangely hard to do it is uh, that that was that was hard to do and i've certainly eaten food that was hunted by hunters that i was friends with who had brought it back but no oh no wait oh i have oh. a different story okay it's still a fish okay. but but i should <laughs> tell this story which is so when i did the shark documentaries i'm with yeah. these these uh, free divers who are weird world-class spear fishermen and so we were there weren't any sharks around and said we're just gonna do some spear fishing so they went down and i was running the boat so i'm on the zodiac while these guys are diving down they kill a 80 pound tuna yeah they bring the 80 pound tuna up into the zodiac they butcher him you know he's still alive when he gets in the zodiac they butcher him in the zodiac i'm not making this up they said steve this is your first time doing this right i'm like yeah it's my first time maybe this was a joke they played on me maybe it wasn't but they pulled out it's still beating heart oh i'm not making this up cut it into strips and handed me to eat some raw tuna heart wow. that had been beating literally seconds before Oof. so i have done that wow. it tasted very irony <laughs> yes as well it should and that yeah. would be an, that would have been an interesting element to add to temple of doom if we got that <laughs> of the film for sure uh but let's back head back into hope washington and into this 
uh, compound that's been set up here with the state police and the National Guard and uh, the sheriffs there with Teasel. Uh, we see Teasel. He has a walkie-talkie. Uh, and then we see the state police trying to get in contact with Rambo. If you're listening, Rambo, here's your situation. You are surrounded. Every possible exit has been blocked. Every highway, road, every fire break. You have our word that your services to your country will be taken into consideration and you will receive fair treatment. Teasel wants Troutman to talk to Rambo and then says some cocky stuff like, maybe you'll spare our lives while you pinpoint his location. At least we'll get a radio fix on his position, if you don't mind setting him up for us. Setting him up for you? That's like bringing the pigeons to the cat. Uh, what a great line there. Troutman reaches out to Rambo over the radio. Copy leader to Raven. Talk to me, Johnny. He uses code to prove that it's him. Rambo is hesitant. We see Stallone's performance there. He's hesitant. He's confused to hear this voice because that's probably the last voice he thought he would hear over the radio. And we find out why in just a second because here goes Troutman laying out everybody who served on Baker team. Rambo, Mesner, Ortega. Coletta, Jorgensen, Danforth, Barry, Krakauer. Confirmed. And there's this long silence. You just mentioned the idea of silence here in this movie. And then all of a sudden... They're all gone, sir. It's him. Get on it. Rambo, are you all right? Over. Baker team, they're all dead, sir. Not Delmore Barry. He made it. Barry's gone too, sir. And they end up pinpointing the fact that he is in the northwest of that particular area. And of course, they're in the northwest of the United States, but in the northwest of that area, Rambo wants to know where Troutman came from. Bragg. I tried to get in touch with you, but the guys at Bragg never knew where to find you. And Troutman responds with some malarkey about they have him shining a seat in Washington with his ass. And Troutman says to Rambo, Well, look, John, we can't have you running around out there wasting friendly civilians. There are no friendly civilians. Well, I'm your friend, Johnny. And he plays on all the stuff they did together in Vietnam and how he covered his ass there. And Troutman plays the loyalty card. Seems like bailing you out of trouble is getting to be a lifetime job for me. There wouldn't be no trouble except for that king shit cup. And Teasel registers that comment and then walks away. And Troutman counters that he did some pushing of his own, and Rambo responds with the title of the film. They drew first blood, not me. And then goes radio silent. So, Steve, what an interesting interaction we have here. The first interaction between Troutman and Rambo. Troutman there trying to use all the tactics to get Rambo to come back. Rambo pushing back, and then even saying, I tried to find you, but somehow they never let me find you, or you never responded back to my attempts to come and find you. Now, all of a sudden, you're showing up here in this situation. So, this is also a bit of a commentary on how these people created these soldiers to do these things and then didn't want the responsibility of what they created to come back at them in civilian slash military life. So what are your thoughts about these interaction, this interaction we have between uh, Rambo and Troutman? So first of all, as I've said many times, I am frequently opposed to using the title of the movie in the movie. <laughs> it, it often stands yeah. out like a sore thumb. Right. <laughs> like we were talking about Lee Marvin before. And when they go, when he goes, okay, you dirty dozen, <laughs> you know, that's terrible. I think this one's great. 
I think I think this is a great usage because it explain because it's thematic to the film. Yeah, it explains a philosophy of the film that I think is really important. So I think that's really good. Going back to Teasel, and then I really want to get into this Troutman relationship because yeah, there's a lot here. Yeah. Is man Teasel's a fucking idiot when he starts joking about the oh what are you gonna he's gonna hurt you hurt me you know come on it's like he wiped out all your guys had a knife to your throat and you were weeping like a child in his arms and now you've just gone back into ridiculous denial again i mean like it's really come on yeah troutman okay (laughs) i don't know how to get so i think the moment before he decides to pick to call back on the radio i think there's so much going on with rambo's in his head Mm -hmm. does he trust troutman i don't think he knows who to trust at this point and I think in this moment, there is history. And I think if he trusted Troutman fully, he'd have responded quickly. But in yeah. the situation and the way it is, and he just heard the state copper telling him what the situation was. And then on the same channel, here comes Troutman. So maybe there's a bit of hesitation on his part, like, well, is he being used? How is he here? What is his purpose? So Rambo, because he's a smart soldier, does all of that thinking quickly to assess the situation before he responds. See, I think I, I think that's true. I definitely think that's true. I would not be surprised if Troutman fucked them over in Vietnam. 100%. Not just once, but multiple times. Yes. They were expendable. They were his, you know, elite shock troops and he put them into situations where they where men did die. And but and this is the thing and this is what's what's so interesting and why I think it is great that it's Richard Crenna and not some of these other actors. Not even the Milton Berle, Jackie Mason one, but it, you know, but but not not Kirk Douglas, not some of the other people that were mentioned or Clint Eastwood because there's a, such an ambiguity in his character. And I think that John Rambo at this moment is in he is an incredibly smart soldier, yeah. but I think he's totally lost. Yes. I think he, he doesn't know what to do. I mean, he knows how to fight, and he certainly will keep fighting because that's what he does, and he will you know, stay alive. But he doesn't know where he's supposed to go in his life. And now he hears this voice of, in my mind, a person who he has damn good reason to hate. Right. But it's also a voice that he recognizes of his world, where that makes the world make sense. Yeah. And you it's it. You know, in a way, you could argue, you know, as, as Steve, we've gotten into cult leaders and cult uh, documentaries through COVID. People really, because yeah. there's a six episode series that's out now on Netflix, it's narrated by Peter Dinklage, exploring how people become cult leaders and hmm. all the different examples. And it's a fascinating, I'm not finished with it, but I'm two episodes in, it's fascinating. But yeah, in a lot of areas of our lives, there are cult leader adjacent relationships that we get into. And the military is one of them, and especially special forces, because people like Colonel Troutman get young men who are still underdeveloped in their minds, emotionally underdeveloped, and they twist them and mold them to be the things that they need. But then they don't want the responsibility of what they've created to be something that they have to constantly monitor. They don't figure that out. So they try to excommunicate them or bar them from coming close to them or put walls up. And we see it all the time. And then when they need them, they go and manipulate the situation and they immediately bring up, well, you owe me for this and you owe me for that. I have to say in my personal life, I've had that experience on a couple of occasions where someone, because they helped you or they opened a door for you, they think you owe them for the rest of your life. And the only thing you ever owe somebody who helps you out is your best effort. That's it. 
Loyalty is something that's fabricated in the moment. And you may be, you may want loyalty, you may respect loyalty, so you give that back, but it's not a requirement of the situation and it never should be. Someone should be opening a door for you because they believe in you and trust you and want you to do well. And here's an opportunity for you to do well. But too many people use that as a reason to be able to control you. And we see this with Troutman, that when Rambo is resisting him, he immediately goes into, look, saving your ass is getting to be a lifetime job. You know, essentially implying, I have done for you so many things. Why aren't you willing to... uh, do what I tell you to do in this moment. So I like that there's a shifting dynamic in this relationship. And it, as you said, Steve, I think he screwed him over in Vietnam. I think he ignored him, ignored him at Fort Bragg. And I think yeah. um, Rambo knew, but he ha- he hasn't quite come to terms with that. And later when he explodes on Troutman in that uh, store, I think that's Rambo taking power back in that relationship. But this is the beginnings of seeing that there's an issue here between them, even though there's a strong relationship. Uh, it's it's such a complicated thing. And it's funny. I didn't, I, I, you know, this is a conversation you and I have had a bit off mic, mm. but I didn't quite connect it to this, to Troutman until you were just speaking. But that person in my life is Hoover, you know, yeah, is, you know, enough. from the documentaries. I was just talking about the shark documentary and yeah. he, not through things like loyalty, that wasn't his technique, but he managed to gather around him this group of really talented, interesting, complicated people yeah. and got us all to work for him in situations that weren't always very healthy. And only now are me and these other guys, none of who, who all, we only know each other through Hoover are now like comparing notes yep. and figuring out like, Oh, that's how he manipulated me. Oh, that's why we did. Oh, this was the, and I only knew a piece of the situation that was going on. And then I talked to chip or I talked to, mm-hmm. you know, one of these other guys and go like, Oh shit. And this is, and I real this is Troutman. I think is a, is a genius user. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like he, he knows how to spot a person who could be a John Rambo. He knows how to get them trained to be a John Rambo. He knows how to use them to achieve whatever military ends he needs. And then he fucking dumps him. I don't think, I think he went, John Rambo's all used up. He's no longer uh, uh, safe. He's no longer useful and right. he cuts him loose and doesn't give him another thought until this moment right now. Well, the fact that he doesn't know that Delmore Barry is dead, right? Yeah. I think that tells you everything you need to know. He's not keeping tabs right. on the people that he trained and commanded in war. He's all finished, Colonel. He's got a real good fix on him, though. Come first line, I'm going to put every man I got up on that ridge. Now we'll get him my way. And then, Steve, we cut to a bunch of dopey National Guard guys <laughs> walking along the water. And to me, I said, this is like watching old school stormtroopers from the original series. Of <laughs> you know, and it's true. And listen, let me tell you something. A military window. National Guard people, when I was in the military, were absolutely the butt of jokes and the butt of uh, ridicule. But certainly National Guard people do wonderful stuff in a number of communities and help people during crises when the stuff's happening in their town. So this is played up because this is the approach of the movie. But, uh, you know, National Guard people deserve a lot of respect for sure. And that's something I've discovered as I've gotten older and got out of the army. But um, and just as they walk past all the rocks and the water. After a little bit of a pause, Rambo appears out from under the rocks, having just basically hidden there 
without them noticing him. We see Rambo run into the woods, and then he comes upon a young kid with a rifle. This is a scary moment, Steve. He disarms the kid, has the knife over the kid, but then lets the kid go, who runs away to his dad. His dad is there with a bunch of other people who are hunters. They shoot at him, which draws the National Guard's attention, and they come running in, whooping it up like a bunch of yahoos. Now listen to me very carefully. Surround the area with every man you've got, but don't move in. I repeat, don't move in. In fact, don't do anything till I get there. And no shooting. Then what happens? We cut to the National Guard guys shooting at Rambo. And when Rambo returns their fire, I put their spines get all squishy. And just like those uh, deputies who were just shooting indiscriminately, here they go diving under and we get them absolutely scared. We hear some funny exchanges with the main National Guard guy who is Clinton Morgan. All right, Steve. Yo. I want you and Bruce head around these trees. Go to the front of that mine. Screw that, Clinton. I ain't going up there. No way. None of the dudes want to do what Clinton is telling them to do, which is to go around in the surprise Rambo and do all of this stuff. So Clinton, in desperation, brings up Earl with the rocket launcher, Steve. And and Earl and Rambo's right behind a wall here inside the mine, seeing all of this happen, hearing all of this happen. Earl brings up the rocket launcher and shoots it into the mine. And I wrote, these incompetent buffoons, I guess, do one thing right. Earl is happy for now, even yells, bullseye. And Rambo takes off into the mine. So what what is your impression on the National Guard, guys? What is your impression with this entire sequence? And they almost do stupidly kill Rambo or or, or um, clumsily kill Rambo, even though, though they're not intending to kill Rambo. What are your thoughts on all this? So first of all, with the making the same disclaimer that you made of their great National Guardsmen or people that are serving their country and do all sorts of great things, and I'm sure there are, like in every, anything else, the, the entire range of competence yes. as there is in any organization. That being said, these guys are hilarious. <laughs> it's It's, by the way, this is not in the book. Um, Thank God and, this is not in the book. And, and I think what what I think is so great about it is what this movie is doing is it's showing you the levels. Yeah. Is that it's saying, look, anybody can be carrying a gun or a weapon or be in one of these situations. Yeah. And at the highest level, you have John Rambo, who is trained in every possible way and has the discipline and has the skills and has the physique and has the willingness and the courage to to be a truly truly dangerous dude and then you have these steps down like galt and teasel and and it's not they are skilled you know like if they were chasing someone who wasn't a john rambo into the woods they probably would have gotten him without too much trouble right because they they have some training and then you get to the national guard which are clearly weekend warriors you know they're clearly and they think that well i'm in the outfit and i have the weapon yeah therefore i must be a badass you know and i did some training and i mean like the way that they're just totally casual casually and carelessly opening fire they have no idea where Rambo actually is. They don't have much of a chance to hit him. And all of the bickering back and forth and like, I don't want to go do that. I mean, well, let's get the rocket launcher. It's it's all I think it is genuinely funny. Yeah. And it's and in this is a heavy fucking movie. So this is like, you know, this is like in the Scottish play having the gravedigger or the yeah. the uh the 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 porter in the in the Scottish play. It's like we needed a moment that was sort of lighter. In the midst of all this action. I agree. It keeps the balance in the movie, right? Because if this was a movie like based on the book, there would be nothing like this. And if it if there was, it would be like one quick exchange. 
because it's a much more violent film if we adhere to yeah. what's fully going on in the book. Because we know that Rambo has um, a forgiving personality, a softer person, an empath- uh, not so softer, empathetic personality, you can get away with this kind of jokey moment in the middle or jokey scenes in the middle of the movie, um, which continues. And by the way, the guy who is the head of the National Guard, uh, that is uh, played by Patrick Stack. He is Timothy Stack's brother. And I don't know if you guys remember who Timothy Stack is, but fantastic character actor, very funny comedic actor. He was the lead in Son of the Beach. Uh, and he um, also was recently in My Name is Earl as TV's Tim Stack. So this mm. is a very funny guy. So clearly funniness runs in the family uh, with both of these guys, which I think is is really funny. Now, so we cut back here and into a helicopter and uh, landing here. And out of the helicopter comes Teasel, Troutman, and State Police Dave. Teasel runs up as the National Guard idiots are taking pictures of themselves, essentially trying to replicate the Iwo Jima, the very famous Iwo Jima picture from World War II. All right, Nick, one more for Soldier of Fortune. Soldier of Fortune? <laughs> Damn it, what the hell do you think this is, some kind of a circus? Get the hell out of here! Teasel dresses them down, dresses down Clinton, and then tells him to clean up the mess. Will, come on, I gotta be back at the drugstore tomorrow. Well, you better get started right away, Clinton. Uh, and then we cut to Rambo in the dark lighting a match, so he's still alive, Steve. He lights up some of the burlap, wraps it around a stick. Teasel and Troutman have another exchange about Rambo. Here lies John Rambo, winner of the Congressional Medal of Honor, survivor of countless incursions behind enemy lines, killed for vagrancy in Jerkwater, USA. Now don't give me any of that crap, Troutman. You think Rambo was the only guy who had a tough time in Vietnam? He killed a police officer, for Christ's sake. And maybe he does believe Rambo killed yeah. because he didn't see it. But certainly we know that it's not 100% the truth. Then Teasel goes full rage mode at Troutman and state poli- as, as State Police Steve looks on to all of this. And then we go back to Rambo, who's in the mine, using the fire, looking for more gasoline to keep the light going. Troutman walks up after this exchange with Teasel by himself, and he sees the smoke coming out. And we have a close-up on his face, and there's a smirk on his face because he knows his boy is still alive. Well, th- this begs the question: Why doesn't he tell Teasel? <laughs> I think because, like most military guys, he has his own agenda, and in his mind, his agenda is to get his boy out of there alive and uh, protected by the United States government, and not let him get arrested by Teasel. I think that's his, and and by the state police. I think that's in his goal at this point. Of course, by the end, he is arrested by the state police. But at this point, he's trying to get his boy out of there with as little um, kerfuffle as possible. There's also the, do you remember the moment in, it's funny, it's with another of our potential actors in First Blood, Mm. but George C. Scott in Strange Love, where he's talking about how the planes are going to attack, and he gets really excited. Because even though the whole point is to stop those planes from dropping the bomb on Russia, there's some part of George C. Scott's character that loves the Air Force yes. and wants them to do it. If the pilot's good, see, I mean, I mean, if he's really sharp, he can barrel that baby in solo. I mean, <laughs> you ought to see it sometime. It's a sight, you. a big plane, like a 52. Vroom! It's jet exhaust, frying chickens in the barnyard. <laughs> yeah, but has he got a chance? Has he got a chance? <laughs> I think Troutman, even though he knows all the fucked up things that Rambo could do, yeah. I think he's like there's my guy, you know, yeah. there's that pride in him 
even though and he'll fuck over Rambo without a question. Yeah. But but there's still pride in him. Yeah. It's like your family, right? No one can insult your family. You can insult your family, but no one can insult your family. Right. right? It's it's that old kind of uh, mentality on that. Yeah. Um, all right. So we got to Rambo, who is walking through the water, falling from above in the mine. His torch is leading the way. Then he kind of stumbles through an opening here and falls down and, in re- and re-injures his arm. Um, and um, we cut back to... Uh, Will Teasel back at the station there, and he is not happy because it seems like the National Guard have killed Rambo. And Teasel doesn't get had, didn't get his opportunity to take out revenge on Rambo for Galt's death and for the embarrassment that he feels Rambo uh, put him through. So he's in that office, just completely unhappy. We go back to Rambo walking through the mine, mine as it gets tighter and tighter, and then we start to see. Steve, what is one of my greatest fears, one of my greatest fears, which I don't think I've talked about on the show, rats, rats hanging around on the side here. Uh, And as he's walking through it, all of a sudden, these rats come out from the water and start to bite him and jump on his back. Now, from what I understand, these were actual rats. And from what I understand, what I'm reading, what I've read, Stallone went to the hospital for rat bites on more than one occasion during the filming of this movie. By the way, he's getting paid $2 million. He asked for 3.5, but he's getting paid two. And the and the producers are telling me he can make the 1.5 million afterwards. I don't know if I could walk through a river of rats, Steve, for $2 million. But what do you think about this scene here? We had snakes with Indiana a year before when this movie came out. And here we have rats with Rambo. It, so it's funny. I remember when we did Last Crusade, because there's the whole rat sequence in Last Crusade. Yes, right. That they went through, like they actually bred, I think, all of those rats specifically for Last Crusade so they could completely guarantee that they were 100% clean, no diseases, no nothing like that. My guess is they did not do that <laughs> for this movie. Oh, no, I've got something to tell you about that. But yes, um, go I, I, it's funny. I remember when we I also remember when we did uh, the breakfast club and yes. the question came up of, would you show up to school naked for a million dollars? And I believe that both you and I said, yes, we would. Yeah, absolutely. We, for a million dollars. Yes. But the rats you're staying away from for the million That's bucks. too far, man. I don't I know t- what I'm going to totally do. Rats. Yeah. Steve, will the 2 million be spent on my therapy? Both physically and emotionally. Look, I'm not judging you. I'm not judging you, John. I'm saying, here's my, here's my thinking. I once, yeah. because I had to record something on video uh-huh. the same day, I had some dental work done without Novocaine Oof. because I couldn't have my mouth numb when I had to go speak. Wow. And it wasn't, it was, it hurt. It was p- very painful, but it wasn't horrible. And I just kind of went, and th- that's what made me think about it is like, Someone paid me a million dollars to go through a horrible thing for yeah. several hours. Sure, it'll suck, and but I, I would do it. That's because I, I because it's worth it to me. Yeah, <laughs> but, but rats, dude. I, I mean, get rats. it. No, I, I get, my my sister had a pet rat, so what? I grew up with a rat. Yeah, that's not for me, man. That that's not for me. Respect. <laughs> So one of the things that I want to tell you about the rats, there was a, okay. a, there was an animal care representative on the set. The rats were squeezed and hurled against a wall, killed and burned by an oh, actor God. during the filming again and again between takes, while according to this person, the director and the crew looked on and laughed. Uh, the representative was unable to take action because she claimed that the rats belonged to the production company and she did not want to be asked to leave the set. She wrote to the Canadian Council on Animal Care suggesting that something be done 
Their response was to wait until the picture was released. And then after it was, they uh, she filed the complaint and pointed out the abuse to the Canadian Film Board. So yeah, Rat's not really well respected on the set, according to some of the research I did here. Maybe if someone's listening who knew when was on the set, maybe they could counter this, but that's the research I have, Steve. So it said an actor was doing this? Yeah, yeah, that, uh, yes, by an actor during the filming. And again, now they didn't specify which actor, but there's only one actor with the rats. I going to so. say, I mean, it has to be Stallone. It can't, yeah. he, he literally is the only actor in those scenes. Right. And you would think they would tell her not to say anything because Stallone is, a, is becoming a big name. He's the lead of the film. If she complains, this puts the production back. Would she be able to take the heat? of putting a production back, you know, it's, it's it has to be Stallone. Everything that you describe about, let's wait till it wraps. And you know that if it was a little nobody actor, none of that happens. Right. And, and frankly, on a movie set, a nobody actor who's torturing animals would be fired from the, like you, oh, they would, he would be the only person who gets away with doing that is Stallone. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's fucked up. I mean, he's also going to the hospital I mean, regularly yeah, with rat bites. This so. is clearly a war that's happening between Stallone and the rats. For the sure. rats drew first blood, John. <laughs> yeah, there you go. yeah. Anyway, that's their representative. All right. Um, <laughs> he eventually gets through the rats uh, situation, comes out the other side, but we cut to a bar and Troutman is having a drink. And I don't know about you, Steve, but he seems a little drunk, like military drunk. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, He's got a lot in him, but he can still handle his liquor, but you can tell he's a little drunk. He's got that cigar that he's lit up. And who walks up to have a seat and join him but Teasel? Uh, I don't know. I just feel like you were cheated out of your chance. I wanted to kill that kid. I wanted to kill him so bad I could taste it. Doesn't sit well with that badge, and he says how Troutman and Ram- Rambo got confused in Vietnam. But Troutman says he gets to go, that uh, Teasel gets to go home to his wife in Nice House, which sets Teasel off. And Mr. Apology gets testy again. Now, what about you, Colonel? What did you figure out from all of this, huh? I mean, what would you have done with him if he came in? Would you wrap your arms around him, give him a big sloppy kiss? Or would you have blown his brains out? And, and this is an interesting question we have, Steve. And I like this scene between the both of them, right? Let's stop here. This is a fascinating conversation between these two guys because you got Teasel, who is clearly caught up in his man shit that like, this guy got away before I got a chance to kill him. It should matter only that he's dead and he's not killing or threatening their lives anymore. But Teasel is caught up with this thing of like, I wanted to do it. And here's Troutman having a drink who fully knows that Rambo is still alive and having this back and forth with him and Teasel, who comes in like all apologetic, is testy yet again within seconds or minutes during their interactions about this because Troutman is actually calling him out. Teasel does not have the emotional self-awareness to be like, you're right, it sucks. I wanted to kill him. I'm not going to get the chance to kill him. But hey, let me drive you out of the town. Do you need anything? No, it's like, no, you, you, you know, you, what about you guys got confused in Vietnam? So still angry. So, Steve, there isn't the fact that he served in Korea, which is in the book. There isn't Rambo blowing his brains out, or or dying rather, which is in the book, but there is allusions to it in the behavior here and in Teasel saying to him, "Would you have hugged?" Saying to Troutman, "Would you have hugged Rambo or shot his brains out?" I think the fact that Troutman has this whole conversation, knowing that Rambo yeah. is actually alive, <laughs> yes, is what f- makes it all so 
it's really hard. So, so Teasel, I understand. Yes. Like Teasel is butthurt because of what happened to him. His ego has been damaged. He's living with massive amounts of cognitive dissonance where he just can't accept the fact that he was a in the wrong or B is not actually the tough guy that he thinks he is and that he's not in control. I mean, I think one of the biggest things, uh, but the way we introduce his character, Teasel believes he is in control. Yes. He runs this town. I am doing this job, doing this thing and I'm in control and Rambo is evidence that you ain't and i don't think he and so even though he comes to apologize because he knows that's the right thing to do on some level it's so shallow yeah and then the fact that troutman because i what i want to know is what does troutman think is about to happen yeah i think he knows rambo's alive right i think he knows there is a very strong possibility that rambo could come marching into town and kill 100 people Mm -hmm. yeah and I think he's waiting at the bar because he knows that Rambo's got to go through that mine and it's going to take him a bit to go through that mine. So instead of standing there waiting for him and maybe giving it away that Rambo might still be alive, he goes to the bar to have a drink until the first incident of Rambo coming out of that tunnel happens. Then he knows he's out. Then he's back uh, in the game. You know, So it's an interesting moment that he's willing to go and have a drink and a cigar while he waits for his boy to come out of that tunnel and start killing people possibly. Uh, I think there is an argument to be made mm. that the actual most evil person in this movie is Troutman. Now, remember when I talked about the, um, the journey of this film being made, one of the first iterations of the script, I think it was Martin Ritt or Frankenheimer who, who said that the villain of the piece is actually Colonel Troutman. And that he, in one of the, in one of the scripts that they had uh, uh, done for the book or adapted from the book, both, Rambo and Teasel die. Troutman stays alive because he is the villain. And that would fit with the 70s approach to things, as we've seen so many of those movies have the villain or the antihero, not antihero, I guess, survive uh, at the end of their piece. You know, so interesting thing. As much as we love Michael Corleone, he's a pretty evil guy, as we see by the end of Godfather and Godfather Part Two. He's super evil. Absolutely. Well, and the thing too is like Galt is an asshole. Right. You know what I mean? Like that is, he is not a good guy. He is a bad guy. He is an asshole, but he is a bad guy in a small town way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he is, he was a bully and I'm sure he drinks too much and is, you know, breaks shit at bars and I'm sure he's done all sorts of shitty things. Teasel is a control freak who believes he's doing the right thing on some level and then ends up doing some really wrong things. Troutman might just be a full on sociopath because If he does suspect that there's a decent chance that, because who knows how many people, Rambo's capable of killing yeah. everyone in this town. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Troutman knows that's a possibility, and he's not telling anyone, and he seems to be enjoying the idea of watching his boy yeah. be great at doing what he does. And so if that if he is just like going, let's just see what happens, this will be interesting. Yeah. And, and of course, and I don't really remember the other movies very well. I've seen, I think, all of them. But, yeah. you know, Troutman's around, and he's certainly always happy to use John Rambo to further what his own ends are. Yeah, Troutman's in the second one because he's the one that motivates Rambo to right. get out of the eight-year prison sentence, which is what he gets uh, at the end of this movie. Um, he's three years into his serving a sentence, and Troutman is the one that goes and gets him for that mission. But Troutman is also the one who should have known that Martin Cove was going to turn on them, that Napier was going to turn on them. Uh, and so it's an interesting situ- relationship they have. He's a, 
he's a terrible father figure in a lot of ways. Oh, but yeah. he's the only father figure that Rambo has. Yeah. You know, so it's an interesting relationship. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hello, Cinephiles fans. You know, we all kind of walk around with these stressors, big, small, medium in our lives that are triggered sometimes by frustrations at work or frustrations at our job or just frustrations overall about our life. Because sometimes you know this, if you compare, you despair and you just want to live a life that's a little bit more clean and accepting of yourself and a little more open to receiving positive messages for yourself so you can have that life that you want to live and have that great work-life balance. And it's not always easy. And for me, for years and years, I thought all of this stress, all of this hardship, I had to just carry on my own, that this is what it meant to be a man. And it was finally getting therapy where I realized like, oh, I don't have to carry that stuff. There's a place where I can unburden myself and actually get advice and guidance about how to deal with it better in the future. Yeah, Steve, you and I have spoken very proudly about how therapy has helped both of, both of us deal with our stressors in our lives. And if any of you are listening to us who are thinking of starting therapy, well, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and it's suited to your schedule. All you have to do is to fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge if things aren't working out, which I think is a great benefit. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Cinephiles today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. All right, we cut to Rambo climbing out of the mine after finding a wooden ladder. He uh, looks, he comes out and looks over the uh, rocks and sees the National Guard guys cleaning up the mess that Teasel told him to clean up. And he sees these trucks leaving down the road and he waits and waits and waits and then jumps on top of one, comes around the side, very similar in a way to uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, opens the door, comes into the passenger seat and pull, puts the knife on uh, Cathcart Robert A., uh, who is driving the truck. He reads his dog tags. And then eventually he kicks Cathcart out of the truck when he finds out that the truck is carrying M16s in the back of it. We see Cathcart running along the road and some one of the sheriff's deputies' cars or somebody's car pulls up. And then we cut to the sheriff's office. Hey, Will, it, it's Rambo. He's still around. We cut to a police car hauling ass up there. And then we get into another car chase here, Steve, between Rambo driving that truck and the police car that's behind them. The cops take shots at Rambo, and then he eventually runs them off the road into a parked car that explodes as they flip over. So we may not see Rambo kill people in the movie, but it is a very real possibility that he killed one or two of those cops that were in that car. And then once again, Rambo is back at the bridge, and he comes across that bridge that he walked through uh, to start this all. He comes across the bridge in the army truck, right through the state police, destroying those cars. And we get this inspirational music cue, Steve. So I want to stop here. Here is Rambo coming powerfully back into the town, whereas 
in the beginning of the movie, he is defiantly coming back just by himself walking. This is him coming with an arsenal full of M16s in the back of the truck and himself now determined to fight everybody in this town. And this is an interesting point. The reason I'm stopping here is because Joseph Campbell has the hero's journey, right? There's three stages here. There's the departure stage, the initiation stage, and the return. When Rambo goes off into the woods chased by Teasel, that is the departure from the world he knows in that in that the real world, and he goes into the forest. The initiation or all the trials and tribulations, and especially going through that mine, in essence, symbolically going through a rebirth to come out the other side and return, and he is now fully in heroic form. So hearing Jared Goldsmith's score or music cue in that moment when the truck barrels through the state police, I think the film is saying to us, Rambo is the hero of this movie now fully as we go into this town, and we are going to follow his journey here as he takes on Teasel. So I had never, ever considered applying Joseph Campbell's hero's journey to John Rambo, but it totally works. I think particularly like the going through the mine as the going through the dark place that you have to go, you know, it's Luke Skywalker going in and facing Vader and Empire, you know, like, he, you know, that, that I think that totally works. I will say something that maybe a lot of people disagree with, which is the action sequences up to, up to Rambo's quote unquote death in the mine. Yeah, yeah. I think are fantastic, top to bottom. I love the the motorcycle car chase. I love him ambushing all the guys in the woods, the stuff with the helicopter, although I find that one stunt kind of ridiculous, but I, I like all of it. I like all that stuff. Right. To me, this stuff going forward as he goes back into the town, we have the car chase on the way to town, Yeah, is all at a lesser level you mm-hmm. know, for me. And maybe it's because, as we talked about before, I'm not the revenge guy that you are. And so having him come back in and destroying parts of the town isn't as satisfying to me, but, but like, and it's still really, really good, but I don't find it as thrilling as I find the first half of the film. I think this is a great point you bring up, Steve, because you know, I, as you said, I love revenge films. Yeah. Yeah. But the town didn't screw him over. No. So there's a little bit of a disconnect here with the actions that Rambo is about to take because he is going to destroy personal property. He's going to uh, cause big attention. He's going to shoot out power lines. He's going to do all these things that, in essence, mess with citizens of the town. Yeah. Right? But you also got to look at it this way. In the military point of view, and look, Oppenheimer is out in theaters now, this idea of civilians paying for what their elected leaders do um, is is an age-old thing in the military and in any war, in any battle. De- uh, collateral damage is always citizens who are unfortunately in the line of fire when a war is happening. And in essence, Teasel started a war with Rambo. Rambo returned fire in start and engaged in the war himself. And now, in essence, a lot of the town folk are going to suffer, not physically, but they're going to suffer at the hands of Rambo as innocent civilians caught up in this war between Teasel and Rambo. Well, and it and what I should say is it yeah. does totally make sense. The first half is right, right. escape and defense. Yes. And and once he gets, you know, they try to blow him up in the fucking mine and the state, you know, the, the National Guard and the state troopers are after him. Yeah. Well, now it turns to offense and the right. objective becomes Teasel and the police station. Yeah. And he launches a well thought out, tactically supported step-by-step attack to get to his objective. And so it does totally, totally makes sense. But I hear you. It does kind of take a little bit of the shine off him 
as a hero, even though Goldsmith's score here has heroic beats to it right. when we hear him break through. Um, all right, so let's head to Hope Washington. Steve, apparently the bridge is a very, very far um, location away from the town because suddenly it's nighttime. By the time he gets <laughs> into the town, he comes into the town, he runs the army truck over a couple of gas pumps, sets the gas station on fire, it explodes, and this is all to get Teasel's attention, which it does. We cut to police cars speeding by as Rambo runs into the street now, a la Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon. The fire blows up all these adjacent cars that are there in some kind of car lot. Which I and, don't believe, by the way. That just It just seems pretty ridiculous at this point, all those cars blowing up. They're like, we've got some money. Let's blow shit up. So yeah. let's do it. Uh, te- then Teasel does a public announcement. After noticing all the damage, he knows that the thing that, in an essence, he the bear he had poked has broken through from its cage and it is now running free in his town. He does a public announcement, which clearly this must be a very small town. If you can reach a lot of people with a public announcement. I didn't, I grew up in a small town, Virginia at the time. Dale city was a very small town. When I grew up in the 1970s, it's a much bigger town. Now we did not have an ability for someone to put a public announcement out for everybody to hear. So very interesting stuff. Diesel asks for people to clear the streets and we see people running away and doing all this stuff. Then Troutman walks in and sees Teasel pulling rifles out of uh, the cabinet, which Rambo had cased earlier in the film. Why don't you forget what you're thinking and clear out what you can? And I wrote, Teasel, ever the gentleman, tells Troutman to fuck off and (laughs) and then calls him out for not knowing that Rambo might still be alive. And then Teasel tells Troutman, somewhat defiantly, but I think stupidly, that Rambo is not going to get out of this place. Teasel, you and all your men couldn't handle him before. Now, what makes you think you can handle him now? Teasel responds that it's his job and his town and that he's not giving it up to Rambo or anyone else and tells Troutman to stay the hell out of his way. So this is an interesting exchange here between the two men because they just exchanged a drink in the bar and had a bit of a testy back and forth. And here we go with another testy back and forth. Teasel will not stand down. Even though Rambo, the terror that he's awoken, has come to visit him in his own home, Teasel won't stand down. Troutman is trying to talk logic into him, saying, like, look, I'm the only family he's got. I can get through them. Let me do this. And Teasel won't let it happen. The arrogance and the hubris of Teasel wanting to get revenge on Rambo here takes over. And it's such a mistake for what it leads to. What do you think? What do you think of this scene between the two of them? So it's it's it, what's so great about this film is that it is a collision of masculinity. Yeah, you know, hundred percent. Yes, you got all of these people who don't have who have been trained. Rambo has been trained. Teasel has built a career on not backing down. You cannot back down. Yeah, you know, and, and and this is certainly something that's in their internal monologues in the books all the time. And it's like, you know, first of all, you know, as we'd said before, Mitch was right. You just needed to listen to Mitch, <laughs> and now. Teasel should go. Yeah. Logically, we have obviously gotten into a thing that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. We've this has obviously gone to a place that's very dangerous for the whole town, for me, for a whole bunch of people, and for John Rambo. He should go to Troutman and go, okay, let's you and I work together. Yeah. That's what they I I have these resources of my town. I need to, we need to bring this guy in. We need to deal with this yeah. guy. You have all sorts of expertise. What would be your approach to settling Rambo down? And that would be how they could, and working together, they probably could bring him in, but right. neither of them can do that. And Chapman would probably say to him, hey man, how can we get him out of here so both of us don't lose face, right? That's the smarter move. 
Teaser goes to the roof of the sheriff's station to get a get a look at where Rambo might be. And I kind of like the direction that Ted Kotchoff does here. We are seeing everything that is happening. We are getting a bird's eye view. We are understanding the layout of the town and when Rambo is in relation to Teasel. And, and I like, yeah. man, when he goes up on the roof, Teasel is clearly scared. Oh, yeah. 100% he's scared. Yeah. Yeah. Taking the high ground, Steve. He's yeah. perched there with his rifle surveying the town. We see Rambo, as I said just a few sec- a few minutes ago, Rambo shoots out the power in one section of the town, and the town goes dark in that section. He's got an M60 now and shoots up a department store and shoots out the power in another section of town. Teasel keeps moving from one side of the roof to the next following the explosions, completely unsettled. Rambo finds a store called the Outpost, comes upon a cache of weapons and bullets, and clearly he wants to set off a massive explosion. He puts everything in the center of the store, has gunpowder leading out to where he is. And because, as Steve said, this is a masculine movie, he doesn't light it with a match. He shoots at the gunpowder to light it, and it explodes. And this explosion causes Teasel to poke his head out on the roof, and that's where Rambo sees him. And he shoots the sheriff's station up right underneath Teasel. Then slowly, Rambo goes up the stairs, walks into the sheriff's office, looks up, kind of casing where Teasel might be. Teasel sees Rambo, shoots him through the through the glass in the roof. And as Teasel gives away his position, uh, Rambo runs across there and he shoots Teasel through the roof and Teasel falls through the roof onto the table there. So Brian Dennehy, because Stallone had done the stunt in the trees that actually broke his rib, Brian Dennehy wanted to do this stunt did this stunt and hurt himself terribly falling from that height on to that uh, hard uh, wooden or hard surface there. So it's crazy to me, right? Well, that, that one in particular, that, I mean, look, Stallone's crazy and he's playing the action star. Stallone's also much younger, (laughs) much younger and not, and in better shape. (laughs) Stallone's in fantastic shape. No offense to Mr. Dennehy at the time. Yes. Right. Look, I'm a big guy. I have, I have have total respect for Mr. Dennehy. He's (laughs) awesome. And I watched him in a boxing ring in Gladiator. He's oh, yes. like a very dangerous guy. Um, so here's the thing that I just kind of figured out. You know what? It, you know what? I think this movie has within it the seeds of the problems in the sequels because oh. what's happening in that first half. Because I'm sort of rethinking what I had said about the second half and the action sequences. Okay, there's so much tension built in the first half. Yeah. And what happens because, as you brought up, Jerry Goldsmith plays that triumphant music. Yeah. That heroic theme. So now it's like, for lack of a better word, this is the orgasm you've been building to. Yeah. So when he opens fire with the M60 to blow up that, you know, all those munitions. Yeah. Well, that is that we've had all this tension and now we get the release of violence. Yeah. And that release of violence had all of us male high school kids at the time go, fuck yeah. <laughs> and the fuck yeah of the movie that is Rambo two and three and all there is like, that's what we want. We want that moment of him with the M60. That's what felt so good. But what bought the power of the moment with the M60 is all of the tension in the setup that led us there. And then the later movies, they don't have any of that, you know? Right. Which Stallone has admitted in numerous interviews. So he knows what made them work and what didn't make them work fully um, at the level of first blood, which I appreciate from him as a creative and an artist. Yeah. 
But yeah, him shooting Teasel through the roof, very similar to the Die Hard moment when that Italian guy yeah. is shooting at McLean through the table, and then McLean eventually shoots him through the table and says, thanks yep. for the tip or something like that. Um, all right, so then as uh, Teasel falls uh, through the roof, um, we see that uh, Rambo walk up to him and Teasel says, Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, you crazy son of a bitch. Finish. Rambo! Steve. Why would Teasel want to die at the hands of Rambo in this moment? Why does he have a death wish in this moment? Why not just, you know, rely on his mercy maybe, or maybe Troutman coming in, which he does in a second here, to save him? Why does he tell Rambo to kill him? Is this a masculinity thing as well? I This is my opinion of it. But okay. I think Teasel had built his entire identity on some bullshit. Good point. And Rambo exposed it all. Right. He, he was built- a man. He was a strong. He was tough. He was the toughest dude in town. And here comes Rambo and absolutely shows him how weak and soft he's actually well, he actually is. It, and I would say t- I would add one thing. I agree with all that. And I would the thing I'd add to it, you think you're in control. Yeah. Teasel thinks he's in control. Right. Rambo showed him you are not in control. <laughs> this is all fake. And so once your identity yeah. has been destroyed. You have nothing left. Kill me. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're not emotionally aware of yourself, the yeah. the, the option to die in a situation like that seems logical in your mind. Uh, when in fact, living is probably the better yeah. situation. Anyway, Troutman does stop Rambo just as Rambo is maybe considering the possibility of killing Teasel. Tries to talk some sense to him and points out that all the police are out there, and we see great shot from Ted Kotchev as the director seeing all those police cars lined up right outside that window that has been shot out by Rambo. Troutman tells him that he can't possibly escape. And then he tells Johnny that the mission is over. And Rambo yells back at him, which I imagine Steve's going to just lay in this whole scene, but I'm going to go through it anyway. Rambo yells back at him. Nothing is over! Nothing! You just don't turn it off! And he launches into this great monologue about what a lot of Vietnam veterans suffered when they came back to the States after they were drafted and served in Vietnam. They took abuse from numerous people, as I said earlier in the first part, from both the left and the right, from the left because they called them baby killers and they served in an unpopular war, and the right because they lost the war. So there was a pride thing with a lot of people there. Um, they, and they spat on them, threw bags of feces on them. Who are they to protest me, huh? Who are they? Unless they've been me and been there and know what the hell they're yelling about. And Rambo talks about how useful he was in the battlefield and all the duties he had uh, back then. And back here, he can't even hold a job. Parking cars! And then he finally breaks down in tears. And he starts to tell a story about Dan Forrest and all the things they do once they get back to the States. Now, this is a cliche thing that we've seen in other movies and made fun of in other movies. But in this movie, because of Stallone's performance, it really works. This is a Sylvester Stallone we've never seen at this point in his career in 1982. And he's just giving so much effort and love and attention to this monologue and reality. When this bar and said, and this kid comes up, this kid comes to shine box. And he says, uh, shine, please, shine. I said, no, he kept asking, yeah. And Joey said, yeah. And I went to get a couple of beers. We find out that the shoeshine box was wired and it blew up. 
And he talks about trying to put his friend, who he was just talking to, trying to put him back together again, and that he was crying for help and that no one would help. And all Dan was saying was that he wanted to go home, but Rambo couldn't find his legs. Sorry, just, uh, it's such a painful and incredible delivery and monologue here from Sylvester Stallone. Having served in the military, having talked to people in the military who have gone through this, it brings back that from his performance. And he breaks down. He says, I can't find his legs. I can't find his legs. There's just this kind of childish mania that is happening for him. And I don't mean childish in a negative way. I mean that he's reverting back to this kid who is essentially asking for his daddy because all this stuff has happened and he can't figure it out. I can't get out of my head. I can lose seven years. Every day Sometimes I wake up and I don't talk to anybody. Sometimes a day. Sometimes a week. I can't put it out of my mind. Troutman takes us all in. As you said, Steve, which is a really important part of this movie, it's the silences, right? Troutman lets him go. Doesn't say anything, doesn't interrupt him. He's taking this all in. And he doesn't walk over to Rambo as maybe nowadays someone might do that, scripted to do that. He takes it and he waits and then walks over to him. And Rambo, as I said, almost like a child, sad and desperate and, 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 and needing someone, takes his hand and pulls Troutman down and hugs him. What's really great about Krennus, Richard Krennus' performance here is he does not bend down to hug Rambo. He puts his arm around Rambo and pats him. But he stays rigid. He stays strong because that's who Troutman is in his mind. And he cannot give that to Rambo. And Rambo is hugging him and crying and just this, a bunch of stuff just pouring out of him. Troutman puts his hand on his back but never leans down. And then we cut to Rambo being led out in handcuffs by the state police, stopping to see Teasel being put into an ambulance. And as he's walking to the car... For a little bit, we see the credits start to roll up on the screen. And then both Rambo and Troutman turn to their right, and it stops there. And we hear Dan Hill's It's a Long Road, which is one of the cheesiest songs, but great lyrics that really reflect what's going on in the movie. It's a long road when you're on your own. It plays as we pause on him. And then the screen goes to black, and that's the end of First Blood. So, Steve, I know I ran through that entire scene, but really it's just a massive final scene for this movie that reveals so much about Rambo's point of view and about the relationship that him and Troutman have. What do you think about this, all the way from Troutman stopping him from killing Teasel and the conversation that eventually happens and Rambo breaking down in his and Rambo breaking down and de- delivering this monologue? to let Troutman know what his people have suffered since he took off and kind of left them alone. Well, first of all, I love that we never really get to know if Rambo would have killed Teasel or not. Yeah, right. And my gut is he would not have. I agree. I don't think he would have either. Because I, it's not that Rambo hasn't killed people, he has. But I don't think, particularly in the conception of this character in this film, that Rambo is a cold-blooded killer and would kill a helpless person, even even if he hates that person. Um, I have, I'm sorry to say, mixed feelings about this moment. Ooh, really? This is interesting, please. Yeah. And and I, so I, 
love everything that's said in the monologue. Mm -hmm. And there are moments, particularly, you know, the moment that you describe, you know, that is so moving of, I can't find his legs. I can't find your legs. I mean, that's just crushing. And so many of the things are literally what I've heard veterans talking about, you know, you know, particularly, I mean, it's not the most emotional at all, but the, I ran million dollar equipment and now I can't get a job parking cars. Right. I mean, that's for real going on right now with veterans coming home today yes. that they have met. Cause my experience with veterans, cause I taught a lot because the GI bill in my film classes, they were almost always the most responsible organized guys yeah. in my classes because they had to be. Whereas the kids that were fresh out of high school, they were fuck ups. Yeah. And these, these veterans were amazing. So, so like that, I, I really respect that. I think there's a thing that we had to teach my son, which was if he eats something when he's a little kid and he didn't like it, he'd go, yuck, that's terrible. And we would say, look, I just cooked that for you. So that was kind of not so nice. So we would prefer that you would say it's not to my taste. Yeah. <laughs> and so we taught that. <laughs> and what I'll say is like, you know me, I tend to like more restrained emotional performances. And I think it, Stallone went full on, you know, yes. like that was the choice that he made. Yeah. And to me, it's a little, it it takes me out of the movie a little what? bit because you it's so full on. Takes you out of the movie? Yep. That's wow. look, I told I and I am I am certain wow. that 95% of people will disagree with me. Wow. But for me in this moment, yeah, I get taken out a little bit. Um, but I like everything he has to say and it gets really moving. As I said, at the same point that you were talking about, that is really powerful. And it is, and I also say the song at the end of the film, it is the perfect cheesy song. Oh, and no, it it really is. It really, it hits exactly in the sweet spot of cheese for this film. I mean, Dan Hill has one of the best 1980s voices ever. And so many of these, Action films have these kinds of songs at the end, right? Yeah. John Parr, Greg Ullman. There were a number of 80s guys. John Waite sometimes. There are a number of these 80s guys who had fantastic. Robert Tepper, No Way Out. Uh, no, Easy Way Out, rather, in uh, Rocky Four. So clearly this is something that appeals to Stallone, these gravelly voice yeah. guys singing stuff at the end of their movies. It's funny you say this about the monologue because the monologue is so incredible to me. It is the calling card of the movie for me. I don't think the movie works without it. I really don't. You need to have him break down. You need to see just all the walls are down now, finally, once and for all. And you see this scared little kid that was 17 years old, signed up for the army and was turned into this killing machine by Troutman. So he reverts back to being this kid again, this childish teenager, because that was the end of his emotional growth. He's an emotionally stunted person. And that's the place that he goes to finally when all the pressure of everything Teasel's done to him, the death of his friend at the beginning of the movie, the death of all the other people that have been part of this, the fact that he can't hold a job, all of it comes crashing down on him in this moment. This was his defiance, his moment of rebellion, all of this to show the pain and destruction that is going on inside of him, to show it out outwardly with everything he does to the town. And so his breakdown for me is just such an essential part of the movie and everything has built up to that breakdown. So although it does not work for you, for me, it really, really does. I Honestly, I agree with everything you've said. Mm -hmm. I think my reaction to that monologue says more about me than it says (laughs) about the movie. Really? Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't like... I mean, I came from a family that, you know, I, I never saw, I never saw my dad lose his temper in my entire life. Right. You know, like my mom didn't yell. Like there was no, I come from a very emotionally calm family. 
And I mean, I, I don't lose my temper easily and no, I don't, don't. True. Uh, I, and so like, it's just, I don't like that, you know? And so my aesthetic, and, and if you look at everything I've ever written in every film I've ever made, yeah. they don't go to that particular kind of emotional place because I don't go to that particular kind of emotional Fair place. Enough. But I, but that's why I say is like, I, everything you said is correct. Yeah. And that's why I think it says more about me than it says about the film. <laughs> well, one of the things Stallone said about this particular performance is he said in this monologue that he has had these rare moments on film where he has left his body and the and he surrendered himself to the role. And he said this is one of those moments and one of the scenes in film where he completely uh, left his body because and just look, let the emotion of the role take him over and deliver the performance that he does in that monologue, which I think is one of the greatest performances he's ever delivered uh, in any scene in his entire career. You know? He's never done anything else like it. I mean, well, we've, we've, there's some, there's shades of it in, um, in Copland and mm. there's shades of it in Rocky Balboa when he's talking to Pauly about the stuff inside. Yeah. There are moments, but nothing to this extent, Steve, you're absolutely right. There are moments of it though, for sure. All right, so that's the end of First Blood. Let's get into some end movie notes here. First Blood was Sylvester Stallone's first non-Rocky movie, which did not bomb. It is also Hmm. the first film where Rambo does not use a bow and arrow, which becomes his calling card, starting with Rambo First Blood Part 2. It was was originally budgeted at $11 million. It came in closer to $17 million, Hmm. with the production running, running several months late. It topped the U.S. box office for three weeks in a row. It's $6.6 million on opening weekend was the best October opening at the time ever. And the film ended as a significant financial success with a gross of $51 million domestically. And it grossed $125 million worldwide against a $15 million budget. So it took 10 years to get here, Steve. But what a return on your investment. It was the first major Hollywood blockbuster to be released in China. Where it was mm. released, China, where it was released in 1985, it sold 76 million tickets in China, which was the record all the way up until 2018. Wow, that's incredible! It has an 86 percent approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, with an average rating of 7.2 out of 10. Um, and this is an interesting thing about Rambo. I want to throw this in. Sylvester Stallone believes that the character and the legacy of Rambo has been represented. Rambo has been taken on as a very pro-military, patriotic symbol for America's strength. Stallone feels the character is the exact opposite of this. So it's Mm. very funny to see certain people in military quarters think Rambo is representative of this high, uh, of this, um, you know, belief that the military is the way to do things. Rambo is actually the opposite of that. And we see that in comics now, Steve, as some people have taken that Punisher symbol and don't understand what the Punisher actually stood for and meant and use it to mean something completely different. Um, another thing to give here uh, is an interesting part. Rambo's knife. I want to throw this in. In a 2011 article for Blade magazine by Mark Carter, credit is, credit is given to David Morrell and the Rambo films for revitalizing the cutlery industry in the 1980s due to the presence of the Jimmy Lyle and Gil Hibben knives that are used in the film. Stallone specifically sought out Jimmy Lyle to, do, to build a knife for Rambo for the film. Mm. So that's not a, ra- a knife they found on the shelf. It was designed for the film back in 1982. And David Morrell received an Industry Achievement Award in 2003 from Blade Magazine. Um, this was the first time that a Rocky film and a Rambo film were released in the same year in 1982. Rocky Three was in 1982 and, and uh, as well as First Blood. 
The second time that a Rocky film and a Rambo film came out in the same year was 1985 when Rocky IV and First Blood Part II were released together. This is one of the top 10 most rented video titles ever in Betamax format. (laughs) It was the 13th highest grossing film of 1982. Now, it didn't get nominated for any awards or anything like that, but it has constantly been cited as one of the greatest movies of the 1980s and has showed up on a number of top lists, both in Britain and the United States, in the top like 500 movies ever made or top 250 movies ever made. And that's an incredible legacy for a film that probably not a lot of people expected a lot from and is only and only clocks in at a tight 93 minutes, but has left quite an indelible impression in a lot of quarters for filmgoers and in multiple generations, I believe. I think... You know, it's. It, I'm just repeating the thing that I said at the beginning, which is the the difference between the sequels and the original film, and the difference between the conception of the character of John Rambo as the, you know, this is all about the military being awesome, and the reality of the film First Blood, which actually brings up John. We have a Patreon question, oh, okay, about yeah. this film, and this question comes from Eric Krems, and he says. Do you think that the quality and quantity of sequels in the Rambo series has had a negative impact on the legacy of First Blood? It never gets the acclaim of Deer Hunter, American Sniper, Born on the Fourth of July, and I think the examination of PTSD and reassimilation are just as poignant. First Blood seems to just get lumped into the 80s action thriller bucket. What do you think? I think you should find better friends to be friends with, man, because I don't think I've ever uh, heard from any of my friends who are film lovers uh, lumping First Blood into just a regular old action film. I think anybody who has seen the film and understands what the film is all about puts it in a separate place. I don't think it's on the level of The Deer Hunter or Apocalypse Now. I would say it's better than Born on the Fourth of July, in my personal opinion. Don't confuse length with epic. Don't confuse that. And I think there's a lot more going on in Stallone's First Blood than there is in Born on the Fourth of July. So I think it certainly deserves a higher praise than that. And I don't think the film suffers in comparison to the other installments. I think just like The Matrix, people revere The Matrix. And although Reloaded sucks, Revolution sucks, whatever, breathe, they, they, they all weren't great. But The Matrix is still revered as a film that uh, changed science fiction forever. I think this film, 1982's First Blood, is still a film that people revere because of the commentary on Vietnam veterans. And it did change people's points of views. And I rem- and, and, and talking to or reading and researching on this, a lot of Vietnam veterans credit the film with finally highlighting what they were experiencing and that the country's attitude didn't change until much later with the, uh, the uh, 2001 wars, the Desert Storm, all of that. It caused a reappreciation of soldier of Vietnam veterans, and the film is cited as being a part of making that happen when we went into the Gulf uh, to have that war there in 2001. So I think the film has a lot more legacy for the right people who understand what the film is all about. That's my answer to that. Well, I, I agree, but I actually think his point is well taken because what I think he's saying is that did the way that the sequels happen redu- change people's opinion of the first movie because they think it's more like the sequels? Like your example of The Matrix, I don't think as much as those later movies aren't good, I don't think they tarnish the Matrix at all. Yeah. I think the Matrix still stands alone. But I think if you say, hey, what do you think of Rambo? People's A lot of people's brains go to all the sequels more maybe than they go to First Blood. Well, you know, I think there's two questions. Do you ask them, what do you think of Rambo? That's a separate conversation. What do you think of First Blood? Right. I think the reactions might be different. Yeah. I, I, so Because I think, you know, if I think of 
Rambo First Blood Part Two or whatever the third one was, I do lump them in with cheesy 80s action movies. Yeah, those. Absolutely. absolutely. Yes, 100%. But I don't have – I personally revere First Blood, but I do wonder if like that the other movies diluted the love of First Blood because of what they became, you know? That'd be something for our fans to chime in on. So certainly let's hear from you all. Do you think it diluted it or not? Or do you think it still stands head and shoulders as one of the best uh, films from the 1980s and one of the best action films because it has something really powerful to say? Say, well, Steve, we've gotten to the end of this discussion of First Blood. This has been such a blast to revisit this film with you. What are your final thoughts on First Blood? This has been so much fun, John. And it's and 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 I have to I have to put my final thoughts into two groups. Group yep. number one is I've just loved you taking me on this journey. That's the it's, it's been so much fun doing it. I love it was I pressure love, packed. It was pressure packed. <laughs> look, it's describing a whole movie is not an easy task. And it was great to hear your description, particularly because it's obviously a movie that you love so much, you know. And that was I could not have done nearly as good a job passionately describing this movie as you do because this is your movie you know thank you man um i app the john rambo of this film i love i and i and i when i say i love him it's not like he'd be my buddy and i want to hang out with john rambo. <laughs> yeah right it's that i have deep profound sympathy for this character and for his pain starting right off in that opening scene when he realizes his friend is dead and the pain of that and just And I also see it, it's such a classic tragedy in that it is, we're just heading towards disaster. You know, like as soon as Romeo sees Juliet, we know we're heading for disaster. And not that this is a romantic film, but the moment that, that the sheriff drives him across that bridge and he says, why are you pushing me? And then Rambo turns around and walks back into town. We know we're heading for tragedy. And that's how this movie plays for me. And it is a great action movie, but it's the drama and the character that really is what makes it powerful for me. Yeah, my final thoughts on this one are when you come across these films, you can have a tendency to dismiss them, especially action films, to push them out, uh, it's a 90s minutes, whatever. But if you take time to look at certain ones that stand out above the other action films, you'll see that there's a lot here. We already talked about Joseph Campbell in this part and his and the hero's journey that Rambo goes on in this movie. Really incredible. Hard to believe that it's something like that that would be in this film and influenced, but it was. But also, I take Stallone's words. He sees Rambo as Frankenstein's monster. And that mm. Troutman is Frankenstein. So now mm. we have shades to one of the great, or one of the connections, one of the great literary classics in Frankenstein. So there is so much here that we may unconsciously or subconsciously be connecting to without knowing, but we just know that it's good. And that's what I like about this movie. It takes its time laying the groundwork for what's going on with all of its characters. It's setting what's going on with, with uh, at the time in our country and what is happening here in this battle between Teasel and Rambo. And we can see why one would go one way, why one would go the other way. And I think Steve says it perfectly. It's a tragedy all around. No one leaves this situation unscarred by what happened here and deals with these scars for the rest of their lives because it is such a traumatic situation that goes down in this town of Hope, Washington. So it's a wonderful film, incredibly well-directed, phenomenally well-acted, well-written as well. And it still stands tall 
as one of the greatest 1980s films. And I was very honored to be able to lead the discussion on the Cinevals. And I hope all of you listening to us enjoy the discussion as well and gave me a little grace to lead this when it's usually Steve who's leading it for sure. So thank you, Steve, for uh, for being uh, very kind to step aside and let me lead this one because I love this film so much. Thank you. And it definitely was not kindness. It was a, <laughs> it was a benefit for me. So I really, really like that you did it. So that is what we think of First Blood. Of course, we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can visit us on our Facebook page where we love to read your comments. You can go to Twitter where it's Cine underscore files. It's Cinephiles Podcast on Instagram. We'd love to see your comments and reactions there. Please subscribe to the show if you haven't already done so at, at Apple Podcasts, at YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, Leave your reviews on Apple Podcasts. I think last week we said that we would read the next five-star review that comes along, and we will read the next one after that, too. So that's two five-star reviews we'll read. And if we get 100 five-star reviews, well, we're going to have to pick the best ones. <laughs> um, if you want to buy or stream First Blood, along with every other film we've ever reviewed, you can do so at cinephiles.net. And you can support the show and even ask questions uh, like we had today. Uh, of upcoming films at patreon.com slash the cinephiles all sorts of exciting things going on there and if you want to reach me you can do it on sr morris on twitter sr morris one on instagram and i just found out Ooh. that my great white shark film that i mentioned in this podcast that yeah. has mike hoover who i described <laughs> my issues with him is now actually available for free on youtube mm. and nobody told me six months ago when they put it on youtube even though i am the director so but I'm very excited that it's now available for free. It looks great. Check out Great White Shark Beyond the Cage of Fear on YouTube. John, how would folks find you? You can find me at The Roca Says on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, The Outlaw Nation on Twitch, my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Roca Says, and my podcast, The Geek Buddies and The Hot Mic. They're out there for you all to enjoy my other podcast, be able to enjoy. And maybe Steve and I will do a watch along of Beyond the Cage of Fear. Uh, which would be a lot of fun to maybe put that up for our patrons to watch as well. And if you're not a, a member of the Patreon, you need to become a member of the Patreon. Head on over to patreon.com slash the cinephiles. See all the tiers that work. The advisory council has been fantastic. There's so many great things we're offering to you all. So please don't hesitate to come be a part of our Patreon. We'd love to have you. And for, all right, and there you go. And for my partner, Steve Morris, I am the outlaw, John Roca. This has been the cinephiles. Have a great rest of your day. Take care. <laughs>